everyone. I am here with Matthew Cypress Banks, and he is an old friend. He's currently the company manager of Oklahoma Lyric Theater. Welcome. Hello. Matthew is a former Broadway performer, and he and I were in the same circle of people that were auditioning and performing. I don't think we ever worked together, but I certainly saw you all over the place at parties. I think we did one modeling gig together. Do you remember that? We did one photo shoot together that every time I, it either comes up on my timeline or gets reposted. Um, the comment is always, who is that girl in the blue leotard? And it's you. Uh, I hope you still have that leotard. But that uh, no, was... we, that's the one gig we did together and uh, we got we got an amazing picture out of it. <laughs> Someone gave my mother a bag of 1970s leotards. That blue one was in it and there was a hot pink one that had a seam down the front and was <laughs> all ruched. And I swear those leotards are what got me hired on so many gigs because they were fantastic leotards. You know, it's funny that... Uh, when I went to college the first time, and we get back around to that, I was a dance major at Oklahoma City University. And Joe Rowan, who still runs the dance program there, insists that if you have the right leotard, you're going to book that gig. And you know what? She's kind of right. And I hate to admit it a thousand years later, that it's not about how necessarily how you look in that leotard. Mind you, you look fantastic in that blue leotard, but it's how you feel in those clothes. And when you feel good, you dance well and you don't worry about, do I look good? Because then you get to just worry about how am I doing today? Yeah. And if you already feel good about yourself, you're going to do good that day, which is why you need the leotard that makes you feel the best. And I think in general, just dressing how you feel That's why I love clothes so much because it's art, it's costuming. You can change your mood just by putting something on. It's cool. I didn't know that you worked with the legendary Joe Rowan. I have in several capacities. Um, She was my teacher first. She was actually roommates with my dance teacher, Anna Marie Leo. Um, when they used to tour with Dance Olympus and Dance Makers, when that was like a big summer tour situation, they would room together all over the country. And so when I said I didn't want to go to college when I was 17, uh, Anna Marie Leo said, hey, let's go out to Oklahoma City University and visit my friend Joe, and she'll let you take some classes. And I think you're going to want to go into her program. And I did. And it was great. And I was it was so funny because, you know, you view your dance teacher as somebody you revere. And I got to assist her teaching the American Spirit Dance Company at OCU when I was like 16. And um, and then I got to take all these classes and it was great. And I, I chose to go to Oklahoma City University dance program. Um, they were actually going to admit me early and let me do my senior year of high school as my freshman year of college because I only had English left. I didn't, okay. have, I didn't have any any other things 
I had to get done because everything else was a three-year situation. And, but I would have been 16 as a freshman. I, I, I graduated high school at 17. I, th- I was too young and I'm glad I didn't do it. Um, <clears throat> so I went, I went when I was supposed to go to college and I was there for two years. And on the second week of my sophomore year, I tore my ACL in, in dance class. I didn't know this. I did. And I didn't know enough about anatomy at the time that the day after I hurt myself and I kept dancing on it because it didn't hurt anymore because I, I tore it clear in half um, or off, off the one end of my leg. Anyway, the next morning I couldn't bend my knee. It was awful. I went to the doctor and they saw me immediately. And Dr. Grana at Mercy Hospital, I think it was, was like, okay, so you've torn your ACL. And I didn't know anything. And I looked him straight in the eye and I said, I don't have class until three thinking we can just do this right now. Can you just fix it? Just sew it up, sir. Just, just sew, sew it up. up Let me exactly. get back. And so I was told I wouldn't dance the rest of the school year and I was wrecked and I wanted to go home and I was miserable. And this was, you know, the olden days where there wasn't arthroscopic surgery. I mean, there was, but it was new. And so I have got these scars, not huge scars, but little scars on my knee. I was back in ballet class in, in five months, but it put me so far behind in the program that they were, I was going to have to be an extra year in school to make up for those dance credits. And uh, I didn't want to do it. So I quit after I got back on my feet and I left Oklahoma City University on what was considered bad terms. I went to work on a cruise ship and I worked regionally a little bit. And then I got a Broadway show. I got, I did the 94 revival of Hello Dolly with Carol Channing. And then all of a sudden I was on good terms at Oklahoma City University. Crazy. (laughs) So that was, that was my gig that, yeah, that, that was my first knee surgery. I've had another ACL surgery since on my left leg. I've had three scopes total on my knees. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, our mutual friend, Mitch, he had an ACL problem too, as I recall. He did. And then he got his hips done. One, both hips, one hip. Did he? I'm going to have to call him. And today's his birthday too. So happy birthday, Mitch. He's my money manager now. He is. Yes. Send him all your money. He, he, he yeah. He's great. He's just a great guy. You, I know you did the Hello Dolly tour because mm. that was, I was on the road with Lacage and I came in from DC to audition and our friend Bill Bateman was running that audition. Okay. And I got a call back for it, but I didn't book it. But so many of my friends did, including you, including Michael Halden, Roger Preston Smith. All of you booked that gig. And did Mitch do that too? He did. He did. Yeah. And it was a spectacular show. And you all were amazing. Thank you. I booked that gig in a really weird way, which I tell this story a lot, especially to up and coming kids. It was before the internet. And the way to stay in touch with people is you you sent Christmas cards and you wrote letters and you called people on the phone and you didn't text anybody. That wasn't a thing. And I had my first Hello Dolly was here in Oklahoma at Lyric Theater of Oklahoma when I was in college. And David Westfall choreographed it and we learned the original Gower choreography. Wow. And then I moved to when I moved to New York, they were auditioning for the Paris production of Hello Dolly. Leroy Reams was directing and Ronnie Crowfoot was choreographing and I went to this audition and I thought I had it in the 
bag. I had just moved to New York and I was going to go to Paris and I got cut. I got cut right away. And I was like, oh, ouch. But then the next week, the ad was in the paper again. And I thought, what, what's going on? So I had heard through the grapevine that a lot of people weren't taking the gig because it wasn't uh, paying a lot. They, everybody at that audition had just done the show, I think with Madeline Kahn at the Muni. And so they basically had a cast. So I went back and I booked the gig. I think I was like the last person hired. I was hired as the swing. I'd never swung before and I was rotten at it. I was just terrible. I didn't understand it. My brain, I could do all those steps in my little three by three space. But as soon as like there's actual traffic to deal with, I was not good. I was just bad at it. Anyway, so I had made this, this, what I thought was a useful map of like the waiter's gallop. And I remember looking at it during tech and Leroy Reams comes over the back of my shoulder and says, that looks amazing. And I slammed the book closed, hoping he didn't get too good of a look at it to realize it didn't actually mean anything. And um, he said, do you want to come restage the show with me and Bill Bateman in Houston the day after we close here? I said, "Uh, uh, absolutely. Of course. Yes. Yes, please. And thank you. Um, so I went to Houston and helped restage the show. I was still non-union and I was the dance captain and that shouldn't have happened. This was at Tuts and, but it did. And so later that year, I'd heard the revival was going to happen and Leroy was going to do it. So I sent him a Christmas card and I said, dear Leroy and Bob, Merry Christmas. I hope all is well. Love Matthew. P.S. I hear Hello Dolly is going to Broadway. I'd love to be a part of that or something so simple like that. And two weeks later, I got a card back saying, of course you're going, darling. And that was it. And that was just it. And you know what? I might've been a stinky swing and, and I was a swing on that tour too. And I was the associate on that tour and I was still a terrible swing. I was awful. Now ask people in the show, it probably wasn't as bad as, I, as it felt. But- It's terrifying. Being a it, swing is no joke because sometimes there are things in the show that you don't get the repetition to feel comfortable with. Like I remember there was this one lift in Chicago that I swear to God, I would just hold my breath because I was scared and you don't get to repeat it so much that you're like, okay, this is not so bad. I got this. You're on that one time for that one track and you have to do it right. Yep. It is, you know, it is a scary thing being a swing. It's terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying, but you know, it was, it was a great job. I got to be on Broadway and I got to be on Bro- in a, in a, in a, a high profile Broadway show. Oh yeah. It didn't last a whole long time. It was a high profile thing and it was super fun and stars were coming out left and right. And I make fun of Julian Brightman all the time. Cause okay. So side story when we were in Houston. Um, okay. What was it? Guys and dolls was on tour and Lorna left was playing Adelaide and she's really good friends with Leroy so she came to one of our tech rehearsals and we got invited to dinner and uh, Liza was dating Billy Stritch at the time where they had just gotten married. <laughs> and um, so Billy's family's from Houston. So Liza and Billy came to see Lorna in the show in Houston. So the whole family was together and we were to meet Lorna after whatever dinner they were having. So we go to this dinner and it's me and Julian Brightman and Bill Bateman and Leroy Reams and every, the, the other parties getting up just as we're coming in. So we got called into this picture and I happened to be next to Liza Minnelli, like unintentionally, it was just like how the group formed. 
And just as the picture is getting taken, Julian Brightman puts his hand on the side of my face, pushes me out of the way so he could get between me and Liza. And we just make fun of that all the time. So there is Whoa. a picture that I just posted recently that when Liza came I saw to it. the show, since I was the swing and I didn't have to change my clothes, I got to stage first and got my arm right around her waist. And we took this picture with Liza and the boys in the show. And she looks fabulous in that picture. Right, right. And so do you. Uh, mm-hmm. I, think, I think we all look fabulous when we were 24. I mean, yeah. you, just, you just do, it's one of those things. You know, and it's funny because at that age, I was so critical of myself. And then I see pictures and I'm like, you were a beautiful girl and you spent all that time picking apart every little thing. But now, now I'm like, you know what? The fact that I still dance, I'm just like, that's, it's great. Like the fact that I can still do it is amazing. And we all should be kinder to ourselves, I think. Absolutely. I wholeheartedly agree with that. Um, there was another, speaking about being kind to yourself, um, I blocked out a whole experience. I, um, I was assisting Richard Sabellico on The Coconuts in, at the American Jewish Theater. Um, I kind of choreographed it, I kind of didn't. Um, don't ask Kirby Ward, he was so mad at me because I'd never choreographed anything at that point. And so it wasn't great. And so a lot of the times I was like, Kirby, you do whatever you want for this section because he wasn't liking my choreography and it was clear. But anyway, so the show happened, it opened, it ran. I went away to do summer stock. It moved uptown uh, to the American Place Theater. Some of the cast changed, some it stayed. And uh, the day after I got back um, from summer stock, Brad Bradley's sister, passed away quickly and awfully and fast and it was unexpected and he was in the show and he had to go be with his family and they i got a phone call saying hey this happened to brad bradley uh the swings aren't ready and those that are ready are already on in some other role we need you to play the bellhop uh tomorrow and i said i don't know what you're talking about and they said the coconuts we need you to go on tomorrow. I said, I don't know this show. They said, you choreographed it. I said, nine months ago. I said, I've done four shows since then. I said, I don't know this show. They said, well, Lynn, Lynn Schenkel's waiting for you at the theater right now. Click. And she hung up the phone. And I went to the American Place Theater and Lynn Schenkel's like, oh, we weren't sure if you're going to show or not. I was like, I wasn't sure if I was going to show or not. And from there on in for the next four days is a blank, except for... I remember standing there with Lynn. I remember the green room was big. I remember the new people were very nice. And I remember standing on stage left, holding a tray with something on it, about to go do a scene with Celia Tackaberry. That's all I remember. And I did three performances and I have no idea what happened. That's amazing. Well, the kicker to this story is when Brad Bradley left the show, they made me audition for the part and didn't give it to me. Oh boy. Yeah, I know. That's a, and that, and, and that's right. That's going back to, to how you feel about yourself and, yeah. and letting other people um, dictate how you feel about yourself. Yeah. And 
you can't let it happen. And as an almost 50 year old person, I can look back on that now and go, Matthew, you should have just shrugged that off. It was just another job and you worked plenty since then. But at the time, it's a, it's a blow to your ego and it hurts. There's always another job. And I know things are different now. Things are different than when we were auditioning. There were a lot more shows. There were a lot more theaters. There are a lot less people coming out of these amazing programs. Because I look at some of these programs that kids who audition for us at Lyric, and I'd be like, oh my God, I would never work now. I don't think I would. Well, that's the thing. People our age are now in positions like what you have, your company manager. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of our friends have moved into universities across the country and are running these fantastic BFA programs. Yeah. So it, our generation is now teaching and directing and choreographing and just like with athletes, like the next generation is always more advanced and they can always jump higher and run faster and et cetera, et cetera. But what led you back to Oklahoma? I, the associate artistic director at here at Lyric is Ashley Wells. Her name used to be Ashley Stover. Um, she was my first dance partner at Oklahoma City University. And wow. Uh, after my freshman year and after her sophomore year, she went into a conservatory program in Texas. And, but we always stayed in touch and we were always good friends. When Hello Dolly was auditioning the Broadway company, uh, Bill Bateman had to be out of town for an audition. So I was in charge of that call with Leroy. And we had, lo- we were, we had lost two tall girls. And I don't know why you didn't come back to this audition. You should have come back. Um, I think I might've been in Europe. Yeah, I went to Europe and then I stayed there. Ah. I was in Europe for two shows. So, Uh, yeah, I think I was out of town. Okay, because uh, I called Ashley. I said, I'm running this audition. You should come. Come on tour. It'll be fun. And she's like, I am five foot three on a good day. They are looking for like, I think it was Lynn Lynn Frankel. What's what's her first name? Jen Frankel. Jen Frankel. Jen. I think we had lost Jen Frankel to something. And that was one yeah, of the- Yeah, because she was always working. Right. And so I was like, just come. You've worked with Leroy before. Just come, come. It'll be a, a dance class, whatever. She's like, fine, I'll come. And so from that call, it was like the entire tour of Will Rogers Follies was there and Ashley Wells. And <laughs> um, we ended up hiring Ashley, which actually gave Randy Slavacek the job or vice versa. I can't remember which happened, they, but they needed a partner because he's so small. Well, he's shorter than me. He's not tiny. And we hired Holly Crookshank that day. So Ashley and I have always been friends. I guess I hadn't visited in a real long time. And friends from college created the Cypress at the Lake Festival to get me down there. They're like, well, if there's a festival in your name, you have to show up. I'm like, mm, okay. So we've been doing this for like eight years or something. Long time. And I was back visiting and uh, Oklahoma City University had just... The, the dance school had moved to a new building and they had these huge new studios. So since I was on good terms, I decided to go just say hi and check in. And I got the tour and it was great. And uh, John Bedford, who's the Dean of the dance school, who is Joe Rowan's husband said, Hey, you know, we have this entertainment business program. You should look into it. I'm like, I am a working actor in New York city. I don't need to go back to school. And I got home from this vacation and I looked around my apartment and I've been in New York for 16 years and I'm like, ugh, I, I don't want to do this anymore. Cause I was having good audition experiences, but 
ending up not getting the gig. But you know that, you know that thing, you know. Oh, yes. Where you audition great, where they call you out to do it in the front, and then you don't get called to stay. You don't, you don't book it. You yeah. just don't book it. And, and I was like, I'm, I think I might be done. So I filled out my FAFSA and I was on the phone with, with the head of the entertainment business to, uh, program, like daily, just trying to get everything done and trying to get any kind of scholarship. Cause I was going back on like $0 and I still have the debt to prove it. I went back and got my degree in entertainment business. And let me tell you, you have to know algebra for business degree. I didn't. And it, that was rough. And I had to take a language and, you know, 35 year old brains aren't the same as 18 year old brains. They don't. Yeah. They've already got a whole bunch of stuff in there. It's hard to jam some more stuff in. Um, so you graduated from the program. I did. What kind of a degree did you get? It's a, a bachelor of science in entertainment business. And so it's still an undergraduate degree. I, since I never did your finished credits the from before, did they transfer? Did they give you some credit for dancing? They did. It wasn't so much the dancing they got credit for, but like all the histories that I took and the the general stuff that I took transferred, especially since it was the same school. Um, Things like, you know, classes they didn't have when I was there the first time, like health and wellness. I had to take that, that some freshman level, be good to your body class. What was fun is I had to take like world history. I'd already taken American history or vice versa, but I had the same teacher I had 16 years prior. And this time around, I was like, oh, I get you. Now I understand you. Because no offense to 18-year-olds, but you don't know anything when you're 18. You just don't. And when you are a 35-year-old person and you're asked to write a paper on something, you have stuff to pull from. You have your experience, you have experiences. You can say, oh, look at this story that I'm, uh, this it was all about literature and American history. And so we were talking about something like, oh, whoever wrote Br'er Rabbit and it wrote it in the dialect of an African-American person at the time, but he was a white guy. But the only way he was going to get published is if he wrote in this way. So I wrote the whole paper comparing it to Victor Victoria. But you know, while I knew the movie when I was 17, now I understood the movie and I understood this literature. So I was able to write this paper in an evening, as opposed to when I was a kid with a typewriter, you know, trying to pound out this thing over a week. And I, you know, we have computers now and we don't have to use a card catalog. And so on one hand, it was a way better college experience, but on the, on another hand, it was harder in a completely different way. So over the summers, for the three years that I was back in college, um, I was the assistant company manager for Lyric in the summer times. I still taught dance classes to make some money during the school year if it fit in my schedule. And then once I graduated, <clears throat> I was hired on full-time as company manager. And having been an actor, being company manager is real easy because I know what everybody wants. You want to know where the movie theater yes. is, where the gym is, and how to get around town and where the best food is. So going in with that information makes this job a lot easier, but. And how long have you been in this position? I've been in this and other positions since full-time since 2010. Congratulations. uh, Thank you. And Uh, you met someone and got married. I did. I met someone and got married and I own a house, which I could never do in New York, you know? So to the listeners, when you're a performer, Mm -hmm. you're, you do project work. So you have a project that begins and ends Mm -hmm. Sometimes the project is a year, sometimes it's six months. 
but the financial stability is rough because when you have a job, you're getting money. You still have to live, but then there are the times when you are not working, that you're looking for your next job. And I don't know about you, but what I used to do is I, when I was back in those days, I lived very Spartanly peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and would save my money, save my money. And then when I didn't have a contract, I would use that money to pay for things while I was auditioning and, you know, pay my rent and have money for groceries and stuff like that. But I understand having a house because I have one too now. And it's such a different feeling to be able to, it's, it's a big deal because you have a mortgage that has to be paid. Right. Mm -hmm. But you also know like, okay, I'm not going to be worrying about like, where is the next job? You know, even though I tend to go a little bit of projects here and there, I Mm -hmm. try to always have employment so that, you know, the bills get paid. It's, I guess it's what being an adult is. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't, I wouldn't know. It is different. And you're also looking at it in a different way because now that I do have regular employment that I know isn't going anywhere, it makes everything else so much easier. And I am so blessed that I get to have regular employment in my industry, which is not what a lot of people get to do. Now, did I move to Oklahoma to do that? Sure. Do I think I could still do this in New York? I don't know. A lot of people have asked me, are you going to go back to New York? Do you want to go back? And I'm like, yeah, if someone wants to hire me and I can afford to live there, yes, I would, I would love to go back. But do I miss it now? Really? When I really think about it? No. I miss walking all the time. I do. I do miss that. I, but I, I miss don't. the era. I miss the era of all of us taking class, uh-huh. go, going to auditions and seeing each other. And I don't know about you, but I never felt competitive with my fellow women. We were there and you were just trying to get the gig. But when you did get the gig, your friends were happy for you. Absolutely. And if you, yeah, if you didn't book it, you know, we consoled each other because People ask me this all the time. They were like, were the other girls mean? And I would I say my answer is no, because the mean ones don't stick around very long. The mean ones get the word gets out that they're mean and then they don't get hired and then they give up and they leave. I agree. Um, It was the same thing with the boys because we did. I mean, while we would see each other, it was usually like in that that uh that 12 to one slot when everyone's switching over for the, the two o'clock call, whether it was boys first or girls first. But with the boys, you know, it was social hour. It was great. And honestly, if I really, really think about it, there was a lot of bad audition etiquette going on. Um, <laughs> lots, lots of leaning on the bar and talking to your friend, waiting for your turn. Oh, and they call your name and you go and run and you do the thing. Because our brains were better then. You could pick stuff up really fast and you didn't have to think about it and practice it on the side so much. And you saw these people because half of them would be off doing a job while you're auditioning and then vice versa. So then you'd have to catch up like a year later. There were, like I said, I think I said earlier, there were so many more auditions and you knew that by the end of the month, you were going to have something. You were bound to have something. At least that's how I felt. And yeah, there were big chunks of time. Like there was, there was a year or two in there that like, you know, you either didn't work or you didn't work as much, but there were, I felt like there were more opportunities than there are now when I hear kids talking about it, when they're like, oh, there's an audition this week. I'm like, oh my gosh, 
I remember when like you had to really, really jockey with your temp agency to get to all the auditions that week. Um, it was, I, it was just different. And yes, you're right. Everybody was happy for everybody else. And if you got cut, you'd be like, bye, see you at Ripley in an hour or whatever it was. And it was, it was more social and more fun. And yeah, when you got cut, you go to the Edison and you would get um, some matzo ball soup, but you can't do that anymore because it's gone. Matzo ball soup was the best. Oh, so and McHale's, McHale's for and a burger. Yes. Well, you were over at McHale's, weren't you? McHale's I was. Ball, weren't you? With, yes, I uh, was. With Patty Ford. Absolutely. And uh, Kim Schreiber. Yep. Great gig. I mean, that was the kind of gig where when you booked a show, you just gave your notice. But then when your show was closing, you would call and you'd say, mm -hmm. okay, I'm coming back. And you'd get some shifts back. It was great. It was perfect. It was so, because another girl got their job. And mm -hmm. so you just filled that slot. Yeah, it's you perfect. filled the slot. I'm really glad we didn't have smartphones back then either, because there's something very sweet about the way we lived. And I really don't have a lot of pictures from that era either, because I was not a photographer. And I was friends with a couple of other people who had cameras on them all the time at on shows and on tour. But I didn't photograph things. I just would live my life. And mm -hmm. not every meal had to be documented. And, you know, not every single outfit had to be photographed. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting. And like you said, the in-person keeping in touch, the making hand cards and calling people on the phone was a very special thing. But I do, I will say we, our generation uses Facebook a lot and I'm really grateful and I'm really grateful that we're all still friends. That makes me very happy. Me too. And, and even the ones who I don't stay in touch with, even on Facebook, the times I do get to go back to New York and like I run into somebody on the street, which you walk down from 54th to 42nd. If you're on ninth Avenue, you're going to run into somebody. I don't care what time of day it is. You're going to run into somebody from our time. And it's so great. It's just so great. And that maybe that's what I miss about New York too, is running into people. Like yeah. That. I want to talk about something a little bit serious. Mm -hmm. And to the audience, let me have a little disclaimer before. I have always been an AEA supporter. I have always been pro-union. I proudly got my equity card in 1992 when I booked the national tour of a chorus line. We're in a pandemic. Hopefully we're at the tail end of the pandemic. But I want to talk to you a little bit about reopening and what you and your theater have gone through because nationwide theaters are dying to reopen. We're all trying so hard to get the actors back to work. So let's talk about that from your perspective. Sure. Um, a couple weeks ago, you posted a notice about a production of Nonsense that was going up. I loved the notice. It was going to be performed outside. Mm -hmm. So I submitted my materials to your casting office. And I was like, this is wonderful. I've never done this show. Then I found out that you're not able to work with union actors because, and I'll let you take it from here. Sure. We were very fortunate. Lyric Theater is on an ERTA agreement, the University Resident Theater Association Agreement. So what that does is it affords us the ability to hire both union and non-union. And we don't have like that Lord requirement of, 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 of putting union people in our shows. Now, I'm also still a member of Actors' Equity Association. 
Um, I have been since 94. I got my, I should have gotten it on Hello Dolly at Tuts, but I got it on Hello Dolly national tour. So we are fortunate in that sense that we were actually able to press on once the pandemic hit. We were, when, when we shut down production uh, this time last year, we were in tech for a brand new musical called uh, Distant Thunder, which was, I would say, 95% indigenous cast, most of whom had done previous uh, workshops. So we had flown in almost the entire company. We had a couple local indigenous actors take part as well, but we were in tech. We were, we were about to put on costumes and we had to, I had to fly everybody home and it was, it was devastating. And, and, and that's just one story from all the other theaters that were going through exactly the same thing. So we got uh, the PPP, your P yes, PPP paycheck protection grant, which uh, kept everybody. We had a, a staff of 26 full-time staff of 26 and we got PPP to keep everybody around for another eight weeks to sort of see how what was going to happen and then we learned that you know nothing could happen and so a bunch of us got furloughed uh they kept nine I was not one of them which I understand because the bulk of my job is dealing with bringing people in I got furloughed which didn't completely stink because I still got some of like the bonus unemployment money Remember when it was like an extra 600 a week? I got that for mm -hmm. a couple of weeks. I learned how to drywall, you know, in my house. And then uh, we came back in the fall, but now we're a staff of 13. So we're cut in half. And I am now the production manager on top of being company manager. I'm not quite sure I'm completely grasping the whole production manager thing yet. I'm not super great at it, but I'm getting there. And we started doing outdoor concert series. We are very uh, lucky that we have uh, the Myriad Gardens here is an outdoor botanical garden. And they have a couple different stages, one of which is an amphitheater type space with a round stage. And we did, we did three weekends of a cabaret series with local singers. And I got to direct one of those, which was nice. And we did... A, it was called uh, Kids Clubhouse, which started out as a uh, video thing that we would produce every, I think, week for a bit while I was on furlough. And uh, two of our local actors, they created these characters. And when everyone was really scared of, of COVID in the beginning, we would basically drop off costumes and props to their house. They did a makeshift set in their living room and they shot these things. And it was a lot of it was aimed towards like the pre-K through third grade set about how to wash your hands, what a nurse has to say about all this, how and but it sort of kept it was also arts education at the same time. And they were little 20 minute things and you can go find them on the Internet on our YouTube channel. I will. And so we did a live version of this for you know, for kids live at this amphitheater. We would do that in the daytime when we would do the, the cabarets at night. And since our actors, Matthew Alvin Brown and Emily Pace, they are, they live together. So they could be on stage unmasked and do the show together because they're a couple. Um, our audience uh, was temperature checked on the way in. Uh, they were sat every other row with three seats between parties. So that while there were no assigned seats, everybody was directed by a staff member at Lyric Theater of Oklahoma to sit properly. Once seated, since we were outside, they could unmask. Um, but then if they had to get up and go anyplace, masks had to go back on. And we're gonna keep that rule 
throughout. So yeah, we did course. that, and then we were coming up to Christmas, and we couldn't pass the requirements that were being asked of us by the union to perform inside. Okay. Meaning our air handling system had to be up to a certain number of MERVs. It had to like suck all the air out and blow in new air every, I don't know, whatever the time frame was, every, every couple of minutes. So we couldn't do that. We just couldn't. So we created a plan to do it outside. And we have a historic homestead here in Oklahoma City. It's a place you go, you know, when you're in the third grade and you watch candle making and, you know, you wear bonnets and stuff. And I people, love talk that. To, people are dressed up and they talk to you like you're in the period. That's my um, jam. And that's what everybody was saying. I was like, oh yeah, we're doing it at the Harn. They're like, oh, I think I was there when in elementary school. So we basically took our Christmas Carol script and we cut it, we cut out all the, the fluffy stuff and got down to the story and the heart and the truth of this story and figured out how to play it in like eight different places. And audiences of only up to a hundred were allowed to follow the show along. So in the same case, audiences were always masked. Cast was unmasked, but socially distanced in the staging uh, by six, uh, six feet because we were outside and we weren't singing unless it was a carol and everybody was singing. Um, we were facing front. We double cast the whole show so that if anybody went down, there was always a cover. So we did that. And again, it was, it was a non, had to be a non-union gig. Um, there, was, there were some equity actors who would not scab, which is totally fair. And, and I wouldn't want them to, but at the same time, we turned in our, our, our safety plan of, you know, temperature checks and asking the questions and the masks for the audience and the socially distanced everything. But because the numbers in Oklahoma were so high uh, in the parts per million being infected, the union would not agree to allow us any, any contracts. Okay. Okay. Um, so on one hand, I understand, especially last December with the way things. Absolutely. Were. I do too. I'm listen, I am a supporter. This has been a very difficult time for everybody. And, mm -hmm. and the priority is safety for the members. I am totally, I'm hearing what you're saying. Absolutely. Yeah. And so right now we are producing non-union because with our contract, we can. Yeah. Um, so we are, we are doing a concert first. Uh, it's Denise Lee. She's out of, uh, Dallas and she's turning 60 this year, which is apparently your diamond anniversary. And she's performed for us twice before she came up to do crowns and she was also Metalarkin in our production of Newsies two years ago. Nice. Um, so she's coming up with her band and she's doing her. Her show, uh, Pressure Makes Diamonds. Love it. And it's her diamond anniversary show. So it, it would not fall under union jurisdiction anyway, even though she is yeah, a member of Yeah, because it's a concert. Because it is a concert. Mm -hmm. um, it is a directed concert and it is an intentional concert and it is curated, but um, it is still a concert. There is no book to the yeah. show aside and from- And she's, she's her herself. Act. She's not playing a role. Exactly. But we have built a set. She is costumed. There are, we have purchased props. It is, it is a fully produced concert. And then we're doing nonsense. Again, we have a full set. We have full costumes. Well, everyone gets a costume. <laughs> and, but that's also the thing too, with costume changes, you have to be able to change yourself, which I think is great because we don't have the funds or the ability to put our tech team in a bubble so that they can touch our actors, et cetera, to do mics and things, to do mics, change costumes and everything. So from what I understand, nonsense is saving a lot of theaters because you've got five women on stage who don't have to touch each other. 
ever. Uh, I'm trust me. I am searching around for her production. <laughs> I just um, want to perform. I know, I know, and it's and so that will be non-union as well. We are doing a non-union production of Grease on a high school football field. Ooh, um, good idea. Uh, it's uh, we're so excited that this that we're this Catholic high school is willing to work with us and do all the weird stuff we want to do on the football field. And I hope we don't tear it up too much. And then we because of our safety plan and because numbers are coming down, we are able to currently able to hire an equity actress who we're already talking to for master class um, in the fall outside. And then hopefully, as long as that goes well, we will be able to bring back our equity company members for Christmas Carol outside again. Um, in the winter. Well, it sounds like you're doing, making every effort to do everything that you can to bring the equity jobs back. But I also commend you just for managing to keep your doors open because a lot of places have closed. A lot of places are, you know, a lot of theaters are contemplating not having a second season. Everybody closed last season. And now, you know, the word on the street is that certain theaters are just beside themselves. People are wondering, can we go on if we don't have a second season? Well, here's, here's, here's the thing we can do everything in our power to make our actors safe, to make our audience safe. But the question comes down to, and it's something nobody can answer yet, which is, I think the big problem is that, do we have an audience that is willing to sit inside with strangers for X amount of time? And I think, and I think that's the big question because you, we have control over our air handling system. We have control over where we seat the people. We have control over a whole lot. What we don't have control over is how people feel about it. And while a lot of people might want to do it, they might not necessarily be ready to. Yeah. Um, like I went to a college production two weeks ago in this probably 1500 seat theater. There were 50 people. Um, I sat in the back row, mask, double mask. I have also had both my uh, shots. Um, I wasn't through my full two weeks of my second, but I've had them. So I felt better. The closest person I sat to was probably 10 feet away. Kids did great. They were wearing clear masks, which was better because uh, you could see more facial expression. I, I was very fortunate to direct my first opera in this. When did I do it? In the fall? Something. Yeah, kind of, I saw you. I saw your oh, Legos. Right. In the fall, <laughs> I got to direct Cozy Fantute at Oklahoma City University. It was quite an experience. One, it was my first opera. It's a sex farce. So how am I supposed to do that with not just nobody touching, but nobody getting within 12 feet of each other? That's sexy. Is, 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 it's real sexy. So that was an experience. It was a huge challenge. I would love to do that show again when we can, when I can actually do it. Everyone's trying so hard. And I, I appreciate the schools that are doing this. Even though it's masked, the kids are getting an opportunity to get up to, to even if it's just to learn a new show. They had to do it in front of no audience, which was a big stinker. But, and I can only laugh so much, you know, by the time you open, nothing's funny anymore. Um <laughs> You know it. You know that feeling. It's awful. <laughs> you want to be supportive, but it, but you're like, Ugh, I've seen this a thousand times. I'm done. You guys are great, but I'm done. <laughs> Did you ever imagine that this would happen in our lifetime? Like this is so out of the blue and so crazy. You know, when I think of all of us in a steps studio, like 
you know, and it's funny because right before the pandemic, something in my gut told me, go take Randy Skinner's dance classes. And I did for like six or nine months. I was in his tap and in his theater dance classes. Those rooms were packed. I would count the heads. Mm -hmm. I would count the heads. Uh, One day there was 59 people in one of those tiny steps rooms. Yeah, because we were shoulder to shoulder. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm really, I'm really conscious of your time. I don't want to keep you, but do you have any, any kind of special legacy or special like words of advice for any people that dream of being in show business? I mean, it sounds to me that you've had an amazing career and now you're in this place where you studied, but you're living there with your husband doing what you want to do in this industry. And it's so, it makes me so happy to see your journey. Thank you. What do you advise someone who wants to be in a show? What do you have to say? Don't stop educating yourself, whether it means taking class, because I, I didn't take class nearly as much as I wanted to or should have. Figure out a way to do it, whether it's voice lessons, dance lessons, acting classes, go take an improv class, no matter how weird or dumb or out of the box you think it is, do it as you make yourself the most well-rounded performer you can. Also, say please and thank you, show up on time, do your job. Also, don't be afraid to be social with the people you work with, even the people who work above you. Don't be afraid to go out for a drink or to hang out because like I said, I got a Broadway show from a Christmas card because in the grand scheme of things, and this is probably a personal opinion of myself, I'm not the best in the room. There are a lot of people who are way more talented than I am, so much more talented than I am. But you know what? I say, please, I say, thank you. I show up, I do my job. I'm good to be within the room. And I tell you that the meaning of that, I have hired so many people who are just, I'd rather this person be in my room than this a-hole who is, who can do 47 turns and jump higher than anybody, but he's a D-bag and I don't want him around, but this person can do 20 turns and they're really nice and they show up with donuts every now and then. And it's okay. I'm not saying bribe your director with donuts, but you know what? If you bring me some donuts, I'm going to remember the next time when I'm looking for somebody who's about your height or about your, your, your voice type. And I'm like, ah, you know what? Can I tell you how many times stay in touch with people? Because we will sit in Michael Barron's office and we're like, ah, who should we cast for this thing? And some rando email will come in just saying, hey, I'm not working right now, but this is what I've been doing and I'm available and whatever. I'm like, oh, that guy would be great. Or that girl would be great. And it's just random and weird sometimes. Reaching out is important. It is. And even if you're just saying, hey, I'm doing Greece in uh, Saskatchewan. Or I just did Grease in Saskatchewan. I saw you're doing this. And we might not be able to use you now, but we're going to remember your name next time. So stay in touch. Be good in the room. Go out for a drink every now and then and stay in touch and just just be a be a good person. Because you know what? If it's not this job, it's going to be the next job. And if it's not the next job with the person that you want, it's going to be some random job that comes out of nowhere. The only way I got the coconuts is because I got fired from Wolfgang Bosch after a week of rehearsal. And it wasn't my fault. I found out a year later. I wanted to talk to you about that, but I also didn't want to bring it up because, okay. It's a good story. I did that tour, but I left to do damn Yankees in Berlin. So what happened 
was I used to live across the hall from a guy in New York City. And he, six months before I booked European course line, six months before he fell in love with this gorgeous German and they decided to move together to Berlin. So when he left, I thought I would never see him again. And then comes along European chorus line where we rehearsing Berlin. So he and his partner met our cast at the airport with big signs. Welcome. And then he and his partner eh, almost every night or several nights a week while we were rehearsing would take us out and introduced us to all their friends. So after my rehearsal period in Berlin, I had a whole set of friends in Berlin. It was wonderful. So then one of these friends was doing Hello, Dolly in Berlin. And the next show was Damn Yankees. And they told me about the audition. So I auditioned and I booked it. And then I got to stay in Berlin. And I actually got a room in an apartment with one of these friends. Then you came to Europe to Mm -hmm. do because I left the first leg of chorus line and you came to do the second leg. So what happened? Because I still don't know. Okay. So I was doing Dolly on Broadway. This was 1995. Sorry, yes. 96. It was it was the very beginning of 96. Okay. And we had already gotten our closing notice. We only ran for like three months, which is fine. It was great. I went to this course line audition knowing that my show was closing. Troy Garza was running yep. the audition. Mm-hmm. And Mark Reiner was there who had cast me in Dolly. And they said, hey, how much of the show do you remember? Because I'd done it. I was in high school the last time I did the show, but I learned it from Dennis Edenfield, who taught us the original. And I'm like, you know, I know the opening. I know the end. And the middle, I can remember it. I can figure it out. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm 25, four years old. I can, I can do this. Yeah. And they're like, great. Do you want to play Mike or Al? Because they're both leaving and the swing can move up into either one. Which one do you want? So I was like, well, I, I said, I don't want to put you in the position of being mad at me for not being able to sing uh, G's and A's eight times a week. So I'll, I'll take Mike. Give the other guy Al. It'll be great. Smart. So we fly out there. Roxanne Carrasco is expecting five replacements and she got 13. So bad communication from the beginning. She was was freaking out a little bit. And we took an entire first rehearsal. I was going over with Patty Ford. She was going with, she and Jared Gaffaro were with me. Those are the only names I remember. Yeah. Um, And so we took an entire day to do the opening and I'm like, God, we're taking a really long time. I need to learn the middle part. So then we learned the rest of the show. I learned I can do that in the dressing room of the Chatelet Theater. I don't remember who taught me. And then I was getting, we did two run-throughs. We had a run-through with just our cast, the 13 of us. And then we did a run-through with the 13 of us plus those stage. And uh, I was getting great feedback from the stage manager. He was super great, giving me, telling me I had great storytelling skills. Everything. Nice man. Really Very nice man. And then after the second run through, we had a, and then there was a performance maybe. And so then after that performance, Wolfgang was there and he threw a party for the people leaving. And then after the party in the hotel lobby, the company manager who was shorter, red hair, kind of maybe a tight bob. I can't remember. Petra. 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 She took, she got me and the guy playing Richie and said, um, Wolfgang doesn't like what you're doing. You're going home tomorrow. You're not going home tomorrow. And I was like, what? And so a lot of the cast was like, well, then we're not going either. I'm like, well, that's just dumb. Come on. But I had all this Broadway money. I should have stayed. 
I should have stayed in Europe and just like toured Europe for a little while, but yeah, but you know what? You were blindsided and you were expecting to start working. Mm -hmm. So you, you know, Oh, John Fidelli was there. Okay. Okay. Yeah. He wasn't in my cast. He must've come over as a replacement. Okay. Yeah. And so, so, or maybe he wasn't there, but he's the one a year later at a party, some random party, Katie. Oh, what was Katie's last name? She was Cameron. Yep. Kid Cameron. She was there at this party and he was like, oh, that really sucked. What happened to you? And I was like, yeah, yeah, it totally sucked. And he's like, you don't even know what happened. I said, well, I, I guess I sucked. And he's like, no, what happened was, cause again, that's something else that will take you down a notch. Alan, I can't think of his last name, who was playing yes, Al. I know him. Either while we were there or while we were like on the airplane coming over, decided he wanted to stay. Ah. And because the swing- was Alan the, Stewart, I believe. Mm-hmm, short, kind of like fireplace. Yes, yes, ball. yes, yeah. yes. Uh, since the swing could have moved into my role or his role, since he was staying and the swing had seniority, I got bumped. A year later, I learned that it had nothing to do with me, but if I didn't get fired from that gig, I wouldn't have done the coconuts, and then that's that. So things happen for whatever ethereal reason, but that's that's what happened. That's what actually happened. But you were also told uh, Wolfgang doesn't like what you're doing. So like that was not, uh, even if that was the case, I would not have said that. I would have said, we're, we've just made some changes and you're not going to continue. Like I would never say, bah, 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 bah. yeah, of course, you not. know, yeah. Now, Mark oh. Reiner, may he rest in peace. For any of you who don't know who Mark Reiner is out there, he was the gruffest casting director who talked like this all the time. And he, he would wake you up in the middle of the night and say, can you go to Europe tomorrow? And if you couldn't, he would hang <laughs> up on you. But he was such a kind soul. He was such a yeah, kind Yeah, he was soul. pretty cool. He got me two weeks severance pay from Wolfgang Bosch. Oh, good. He said, I got a check in the mail with that said Mark Reiner on the, on the outside of the envelope. And on the check, it said Wolfgang Bosch Productions. And I think that is completely unprecedented from what I understand. Wolfgang just passed away, you know. He did. He did. And I only met him that one time. That one time. I want to thank you for coming on. And your doll, I hope you can come back. And let's keep in touch, okay? Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. The Showgirl Tip of the Day podcast has original music composed by Joshua Holloway. Find him on YouTube, Joshua Holloway Music. This podcast is written by Michelle Bruckner and edited by Michelle Bruckner and Joshua Holloway. Find me on Instagram, Showgirl Tip of Day. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next week with a new episode. Oh,